Hey, Roland, how's it going? Good, Chris. How are you? Good, Chris. How are you? Man, I'm living the dream. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon here in good old Indianapolis, Indiana. It's about 50 degrees, Roland. We've had great weather the whole week. Uh, It's Friday. I get time with you, Planful, and everybody joining the room. I am on cloud nine, so to speak, and I'm looking forward to the weekend, brother. How about yourself, man? Tell me, tell me, how was your week? How was how was everything, man? My week was great. Uh, I can't be on cloud nine because out here in California there are no clouds today, uh, which is awesome. Oh, thanks, thanks, thank you, thank uh, you. You you're always somewhere nice. You're in some like a lodge, you know. We're in here in the Midwest, struggling right now. <laughs> yeah, we, well, we've uh, we've got beautiful blue sky. Uh, as you said, it's Friday. I've had a great week. Uh, you know, things are going really well, and. Uh, you know, I think the interesting part for me is like right now, just, you know, the sense of the economy, the pandemic kind of feels like it's uh, on the wane, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. I know we've kind of maybe felt like this in uh, in spring of last year. Um, but, you know, seeing all of this, I, I really wanted to reflect back on, uh, on, on what kind of we've seen over the last 12 months and... Uh, and I think it's been, you know, we all know it's been a crazy 12 months, right? But um, For sure. how do we think about, what do we think, what do you think about what we created in 2020 from an FP&A perspective and what should we keep and what we, should we leave in 2020? Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great topic to kick everything off and to think about. And when I look over the last year, right, um, I mean, all the different challenges that we face personally, professionally, I mean, you name it across the board, we uh, had to face a lot of different things, but specifically FPNA, right? Like I look at what, what was the winning themes coming out of FPNA finance and accounting that people should be thinking about and keeping as the go forward. The first thing that comes to my mind is uh, the definitely the, the theme of agile versus static based forecasting, right? Oh man, I remember like a year ago when and things started to shut down and and you know retail started to shut down and e-commerce was you know that's a big bread and butter of our demographic that we and clients that we serve and it was like okay what what's this going to look like so we had to move from our traditional rolling forecast your one month of actuals you get your update you roll forward the next 11 months and we got down to a two-week daily cycle i mean i was talking with our commercial teams i was uh, talking with my team every single day right uh to to get customer information to know how industries were performing um at the status of at that time the paychecks protection program was coming into effect so i had to be updated on i had to update our european operations because i directly report to our cfo i had to report them the economic update the political update the update of our america's organization as well as cascade that information down to our senior leaders so that ability to be able to move to an agile-based model, not just in terms of KPI tracking, like agile in communication, agile in, in collaboration, like agility is, is, is universal in FPNA going forward. Like you have to have agile communication. You have to have agility in all aspects of what we do. Another important area, and not just the planning aspect of it, but agile partnerships, for example, I mean, there was a standing call I would have with our commercial teams, our president of our U.S. operations, our new business teams, our existing business team, renewals, client success. And we were constantly having information, right, and constantly communicating as much information that we could cascade to each other because we lost that not being in the office. Right. Like if we were in the office, obviously, a lot of these things wouldn't have been the case and and it had been completely different. But we had to adapt. We had to adapt to keep our high performance and our partnership. We had to keep that going. So I think agile versus static-based planning, partnership, communication, collaboration, those are those are things that are going to continue to go forward. The second one that I think is really, really, uh, and I've been a strong proponent of this for years, is an empowerment versus directive-driven culture. Like, let's take two quick seconds to, to RIP and let's sunset directed driven cultures, right? 
let's get it. Yeah. Let's so get rid of them. empowerment. What do I mean by that? Right. Empowerment is saying like, finally, organizations know that they can be as equally or more productive by not micromanaging people. You don't have to physically point the stick, tell people what to do, like give people the empowerment, give them the tools, allow them the opportunity to, to go what they need to do and don't have to micromanage people. Right. And I think that has been such a, a resounding and some organizations like, you know, us, we were already down that page. Like we were already in an empowerment driven culture. So for us, it wasn't a, a shock to our company culture or how we operate. But to some organizations, to some leaders, to some CFOs, to some, you know, listeners uh, listening right now, that was major for them. And they were losing their mind. They're like, I don't know how, how do I know my people are being productive if I can't see them? Like, that, if, if you can't understand, like, the importance of that and knowing, like, you don't have to be there for your, like, micromanage them and being right there to tell them what to do, give them the leeway, I think that's been a, a strong theme. And the third one, that I think is going to continue to go forward is now is the time for the CFO, the uh, finance leader, FPNA. We've been looked at to say, hey, look, rev chief revenue, and not to say revenue growth and top line. Some industries are, are significantly performing really well. But right now, most organizations look to the finance function and say, guys, like you guys need to steer the ship. Like you need to help us get through this right now. CEOs, CROs, Human resource officers, you name it, the C-suite has looked at FPNA to say, guys, it's your it's your 15 minutes of fame, and we need you guys so we can continue to have the episodes running when this thing uh, uh, concludes. So for me, that's a great opportunity for us to capitalize, right? And how do I say capitalize? Capitalize on our value perception, right? We need to shed the skin that accounting, finance, and FPNA are no longer the scorekeepers. We're no longer the people that say we did eight widgets on a budget of 10 widgets. No, 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 no. Now is our value proposition to say we are valued advisors in the business. Meaning there's not a business decision that's made that we don't consult the accounting finance FPNA group. We are in that piece and in that value proposition. The second key thing around that is I think, and this is really near and dear to my heart and kind of a mindset that I've challenged a lot of leaders across every different industry, experience, everything. We have to bring empathetic data-driven decision-making to the forefront of any business decision we make and guide in our organizations, right? We, technology and, and everything, it's really helpful in doing that. But one thing that I've understood behind every decision accounting, finance, FP&A brings to the organization to make are people. We need to be in the forefront to making sure we're listening to our people and really listening, not listening to respond, but listening to understand, to connect, to understand challenges, issues, risks, opportunities all of our people are facing, right? Take that information, put it into our modeling to come back with a recommendation, right? And a lot of times those recommendations may be you know, affect people or they don't. But at the same time, we need to bring that empathetic data-driven decision-making model to the forefront of all business decisions. So for me, Rowan, when I look at the last year and I look at the wins, uh, those are definitely the wins, man. And to get to your point around the losses, I'll quickly go through that. The losses, you know, I think the losses between that is shedding the skin that I talked about of being scorekeepers and moving to value uh, advisors. Some of the things we lost, and I, I you know, I, I champion and be honest about this, is I miss the connection, right? I miss the the water conversations. I miss connecting with my our people, and not just my direct team, but our indirect team. That ability to to go sit in a meeting and and understand and and gather information, like I feel like this pandemic has created silos of organizations, and not just data. I'm t take data out of it, right? Yeah silos of people right and i miss that ability to go connect on a client services meeting or go see a solutions architect walk through with the client or go you know shadow a new business deal i miss that ability to be able to connect right so i think that's a major uh those are the two major losses that i see that accounting finance and fpna have uh have lost in the last year 
I miss the whiteboard. I, like, you know, that collaboration, just, you know, working with people, talking to people about a strategy or a change or just, you know, that, that ability to kind of riff on something for a couple of hours and, and then come out and have something that is, you know, reasonably well understood by the group. Um, because, you know, a, as we know, once you get into these, this type of environment, this kind of Zoom world, this online meeting space, it, it's hard to collaborate. I think some teams have adjusted really well with, with various online tools to, to kind of replicate that. Um, but that's, that's one of the things I think your second point about directive versus kind of empowering leadership one of the challenges that I see for a lot of leaders, um, especially in the pandemic, is they feel like they have to be directive because targets have changed. Um, mm-hmm. the, the kind of score has changed for an organization. So they get into this mode of directive leadership, not because they want to and they, they don't want to empower people, but they feel that they immediately felt that, um, well, I've got to over communicate these new targets, this new change, this new goal. And so therefore I've got to micromanage it, especially in the right. middle of this pandemic. And, and what we, you know, what I've seen and what I've talked to be people about is where people were able to quickly redefine the goal, quickly redefine the strategy to get to the goal, because most organizations, they just got knocked off course. It's not like the direction changed, right? It's not right. like they, they, you know, they, they, you know, they were sailing from, from the, you know, one side of the Pacific to the other. They're still trying to get to the other side of the Pacific. It's just that, you know, instead of going <laughs> due west, they've got to go now maybe northwest because they got knocked down, right? And, and so, right. It, you know, how you get there now might be different and, and the, the speed at which you get somewhere might be different. But a lot of people really struggled with with that aspect of their leadership, and and mm-hmm. and that's where they got into the super directive mode. Obviously, no one ever really planned for um, just immediate remote work either. Like that was one thing that people right. didn't plan for, and so that coupled with all the targets changing at the same time. So I, I don't fault leaders for getting into that directive mode because I, no one had ever been through this before. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is new charted territory, man, for a lot of different people. Right. And I think, you know, when it, it, to me, it always comes down to leadership, making persevere or pivot conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. Leadership is all about like particularly about FPNA. Right. FPNA, I've always looked at is like the, the if you're if you're taking a, a ship down a, a lake or a river. Right. And it's wine turning and moving around. You got marketing there. You got, uh, you know, HR, you got revenue. You got IT at the head of that that boat that's navigating these these waters and these pits and where to go is FPNA, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the most important point you said about that with that change is for 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 me it was about saying guys like look we need we are in a constant pivot sort of place right now like information is changing information is being updated on an hourly basis, daily basis, right? During, during the pandemic. And even now with, with, with situations that we're in. So I think being open and honest to people, right. And saying guys like, look, I don't have this all figured out. I think that is where a lot of leaders make a fundamental mistake is they think because they are a leader that they should have all the answers, right? The number one thing in leadership I learned during the pandemic is now is not the time to fake and make it right. Fake it till you make it and be, be as open and honest and transparent to some degree that I can about everything that I know. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've said on global leadership calls, CEO, CRO, CFO, my, my direct manager. And I'm like, guys, I don't have the answer to that, but I'm going to do my best to figure it out. I'll come back with the best information I have and I'll continue to retool that. Right. So I think that's a that that's a, a, always a, a failed philosophy in leadership is like people always think that leaders need to have the answers. Right. And have it completely figured out and have the plan. And this we need to do A, B and C and D when sometimes you just got to flow. You got to just flow and just say, guys, we're going to figure it out along the way and we're going to we're going to learn. We're going to we're going to innovate. We're going to fe- it's a feedback loop. Right. You, you identify something. It worked or it didn't. You take the learnings, you feed it back in again, and you're constantly going through that, right? But I think being proactive, honest, and transparent about that kind of directive up front, that's where you win. That's where you're successful. 
A hundred percent. And the thing that, um, you know, I think in April, the, the CEO of Corn Ferry uh, came out and said, any prediction you make right now is going to be wrong. But it's important to make predictions and manage to them and, and try and figure out how, how wrong you are. And, right. and that's something I think FP&A teams have, have adapted to. You talked about it before with, with that notion of agility. Um, you know, we, we obviously call it continuous planning, but that ability to manage scenarios at a more, you know, you're having five, six, seven different scenarios. One, one client uh, I, I talked to in the middle of the pandemic, they had a, like a Monte Carlo analysis of various scenarios and they were just kind of moving, but, oh, well, this week we're going to manage to these five scenarios and, and the next week, we, you know, we might be moving, depending on, on the economy and what's going on, we're going to manage to another five scenarios. And that was just a way of, um, you know, scenario management where it was like, right now we're operating at plan B. Uh, we, we think that we can stay at plan B, but if this happens, then we're going to drop down to plan C. And that means, you know, reductions in cash, reductions in, you know, we're going to move to net 60 instead of net 45. We're going to do these things, right? And that's going to help us manage through this. And, and that's something that I, I think businesses are going to take through this as well and also manage to, to growth, right? Where you can set an expectation which says, all right, well, if, if we meet these targets, we're going to unlock a new lever of growth. And that means we're going to, you know, double down or, or you know, increase our investments. And that's something that we've all learned. And we've conditioned, like fp leaders have conditioned business units through the uh, through the pandemic to think that way as well, right? So you know, more conversations I'm having uh, with other business leaders, they're now thinking about scenarios that you know, twelve months ago they weren't they weren't thinking about it. No, at all. <laughs> yes. they were they weren't at all, right? And I think you you hit the nail right on the hair, Rowan. Is like that ability to be, but that is a great skill set we have in FPNA, right? Like I love that you said that. We are now starting to give the skills, passions, and talents that we have to other operational leaders, right? I love it because what we're doing, Rowan, is we're creating little FPNA minions out in the organization, right? I, I don't know about you, but I love having minions in the sales and marketing organization, right? <laughs> I love them thinking about, well, yeah, well, if we do this, it's it's going to be this kind of ROI on the on the contract or if we do this and have these kind of payment terms, Chris is going to be happy because it's payment up front. Like that kind of piece of it may seem small, mm-hmm. but that's an investment in the organization that is going to like reap major benefits, right? Because what we're doing is we're sharing our knowledge, skills, passions, and talents that make us awesome, that make us FPNA rock stars and superstars inside the organization, right? Yeah, we, we call and, it the financial IQ. The financial IQ of the business has been elevated because, you know, what what uh, FPNA has done over the last twelve months is is educate, um, you know, teams across the organization of what is important about finance right now. Cash is king, so you know, when any any negotiations, you're going to try and push for different payment terms because we want to, you know, protect some of that that information. We want to protect our cash flow. And, and, and so that financial IQ, if we can elevate that financial IQ, then the business is going to perform stronger in the long run, not just in the short term, but over the long term, because now people within the organization have an understanding of, okay, well, you know, I'm running in this model, right, uh, versus this model. And, and they can actually understand the decision, what you, you know, that ROI analysis that they're thinking about. Right. Right. Yeah. And like you said, financial IQ is I don't think it just rests with leaders. Right. I think it should rest with the entire organization. And what what better group to champion that uh, level that up that upskilling than accounting and finance and FP&A. Right. And for me, like that's always been such a strong element of what I consider FP&A. Right. And I think everybody's definition. So for all the listeners and people like my definition of FP&A is not financial planning and analysis. It's not, right? My definition of FPNA is financial partnership and advising, right? That is really the critical element, right? And as we can get people to get out of, and this is where technologies like Planful and, and other solutions are really helpful to get them out of the, the, the planning and analysis aspect of it 
and get them into the partnership and advising aspects, that that is that is where you win. Right. And I think that's where FPNA is really helping the organization develop those skills. Right. To understand the value proposition that that brings to not only them, but their relationships inside the business. And it also it also, like you said, it upskills and it helps navigate uncertainty. And I think that's a major outcome coming out of this is like looking back at our group to know that we were strong partners, strong advocates to our leaders, to 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 the street, to the to, to our investors, to our shareholders, as well as our people to navigate this uncertainty. That's a big win, man. Big win. Yeah, the other the other big win I've been hearing a lot of is um, just the management of the liquidity right now. There's you know, so much money being printed on a daily basis. Uh, how, how have you guys? Uh, you know, I know you you went through an acquisition this year, like pretty crazy time to do that. Uh, you, you got acquired by a very large uh, organization. And, um, and so that's been happening a lot this year. We've seen a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Um, we've seen a lot of liquidity in the market. Valuations are pretty crazy right now. How have FP&A leaders in, in, that you speak to been, been dealing with that? And, and what are some of the kind of, what are the new mindset changes when you've got that much cash in the market? Yeah. And I think like, uh, like you mentioned earlier in, in the start of this conversation, cash is king, right? Profits are a dream. Cash is a reality, right? So at the end of there every day, uh, you know, for me, most of my background working at high growth entrepreneur startup companies, cash is, cash is always the first thing I look at, right? Like we're not at scale yet in the Americas or other organizations I've been a part of to where like I'm looking at other, I'm worried about cash and making sure to meet that. So some of the things that we did is uh, obviously, um, you know, cash is, is in demand right now, specifically in the U.S. market. Right. You got PPP. Uh, you got all these different uh, you got accesses to the market now. I mean, IPOs are still hot for tech companies. So you have all this money that you can go access. But not all money is good money. Right. I think that's an important place to start is like people think like oh, going into the public market on debt or getting. Like you have to really understand your business. What's going to be good, efficient money for you? That's not going to have all this red tape tied towards it, right? So for us during the pandemic, as we support retail and e-commerce businesses, we wanted to make sure we supported our customers during that cycle as well, mm -hmm. right? So we had initiatives. We gave uh, free product solutions to get them uh, as quick to e-commerce or solutions to help them retain as much revenue as possible, right? to help our customers, which in turn, you know, was a, an investment, a free investment that we gave products to our customers to help them during this time. So at that time, when it comes to renewal or when that conversation comes around their collectability or their ability to pay, they understand like, hey, we're not just another vendor that's like trying to knock you on the head for cash. We're going to look, we're going to help you get through this time. Right. And when that renewal cycle comes up, Remember, you know, we were able to keep 60, 70 percent of that time or that or that revenue for you that you were able to uh, to maintain. Right. Um, and then another thing is, is being laser focused on cash collections. Right. I mean, our days sales outstanding, our DSO, uh, other cash considerations that we were looking at, hugely important. Right. And that was another thing that accounting finance and FP&A kind of came together in deep analysis, looking at our entire customer profile uh, that we did is looked at. The last like four years customer pain buying behavior based on their invoice date and due date. When did they pay? How did they pay? Are there any late payers? And just getting really, really proactive laser focus about that. And it targeted our conversations, right? Like we knew 80% of our AR was going to be paid in this amount of period. Um, we had renegotiations of some contracts. How many of those customers were at risk? So really that's where that data became really helpful to test out any hypothesis or experiments that we wanted to test around contract renegotiation, pro free products to give to people. But again, at the end of the day, we had to make sure we had sufficient cash flow, whether that's from our customers that we're generating in, but also leveraging some of the, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 related things that we were able to do uh, that the government was able to provide. So again, I think for those finance accounting FP&A leaders, you have to go and see which cash is the best cash for you to get, right? Which cash, which avenue, get the KPIs, get the tracking, 
and get the plans around how you want to execute on that. Because right now there's a, you know, there's, there's still industries being affected, travel, uh, hospitality. I mean, these are, these are industries that, um, you know, you let, you look in the next 12 to 18 months, that's still like, we're, you know, I've looked at, I read a lot of different articles and, and, and economic uh, outlooks, and they're saying some industries aren't even like halfway through the major things that they're going through right now. So uh, for me, that's some of the things that we kind of done. And for those leaders out there, you got to do the same thing, right? Like you got to be thinking about cash optimization in every investment conversation you make. People, everything. And that's part of the uh, partnership and advisory that you were talking about, right? You know, as as you know, FPNA goes out and does that deep analysis on you know historical payment history and things like that. You know, we had members of, of our team here doing really deep analysis on the impacted markets, right? Like they, they, they became a market research team for you know the whole period of April, and 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 that kind of has then uh, continued on in terms of informing you know, what type of, um, you know, payment terms are we willing to offer to different types of organizations? How does that impact our, you know, we, we talked about cash is king. Well, cash flow forecasting is, is the shining knight right now that everyone's yeah. looking to, right? He's, he's the hero. He's the champion uh, of, of the use cases of all the things that FP&A can deliver. Everyone's looking at the cash flow forecast going, oh, we, are we good? Yeah, we're good. We've got this. Um, the I haven't heard that term so much than than in the last twelve months the cash flow forecast right um, yep. the um, you know like where I was going is is that partnership and advisory it's not just keeping that information internal so that you guys can you know FPNA leaders can do their their kind of DSO kind of analysis it's a using that as a lever to help inform the rest of the business hey you know like as you enter that marketing event. Make sure the contract has a get out clause or some of the force majeure clauses are, you know, favorable to us. Like, do you really want to fall back on virtual events? Is that something that you want to do? Is that going to have the same ROI? You know, for a sales organization, hey, you know, we should be renegotiating uh, not here on payment terms. We should be negotiating on, on these types of terms because the outlook for this industry, this business isn't as good as another business. And it's doing that at the individual level like you know sure. uh, contract by contract versus just kind of sweeping statements and and that's put a huge burden on uh on on the the fpna organizations which are generally some of the most frugal business units in a in a business yep. so so talk about the like the stress of that um you know as we think about fpna not only has the workload increased, the detail and the accuracy required has increased, the iterations have increased, the agility has increased, but also um, the the kind of need to collaborate has increased. So like all of these things are compressing and compressing and compressing the, the day. How have people been able to manage through that aside from just creating another eight hours in the day and not sleeping? Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. I mean, I can tell you going through the pandemic, right? And speaking speaking to the points you talk about, the the extra capacity, the agility you have, the the information that you have to collaborate and cascade to people, right? And just this this extra uh pressure that's been put on the accounting finance FPNA organizations, right? The first one about it, I remember going through it, is all that scenario planning and, and going through all that. I'll say it. I was doing all that in Excel, right? And I got done through this process, and I said, the, the, I, "I know, I I know a software solution in the space right now, <laughs> like vividly. I I love them. They're called Planful. They can help with this scenario stuff and get me outside of these Excel spreadsheets and get me into this strategic level focus, right? So." Um, but in other areas, we had technology to bridge that gap, right? So when you look at capacity and all these different pressures and collaboration, communication, capacity that's put on FPNA, right? Technology is so important, right? And you see it. You see it at board level conversations now that people are understanding scalability is all about making sure you have optimized technology foundation, right? Because to me, Every decision boils down to 
People, uh, if people drop process, process, data, information, information to knowledge, knowledge to business decision. It's literally that workflow, right? And where you want to have in FP&A specifically, for people, process, data, information, have technology do all of that. Literally have your technology, whether it's a collaboration technology, whether it's a scenario planning technology, a budget or forecasting technology, right? And organizations have seen like Zoom has fit in, okay, we're going to have Zoom fit in technology to have collaboration. We're going to have Slack to have our collaboration aspect of it. We're going to have, you know, Planful to help us with our scenario planning and budgeting and forecasting. We're going to have Power BI to help with our data visits. You know, name the tool out there, right? But they've understood that we need that technology baseline to really maximize our people, right? Because you're right, FP&A, I, I would challenge that FP&A is not a revenue-producing uh, unit inside an organization, but we're a support function, right? We're Team GNA, and I'm I'm freaking proud of it. I'm proud to be Team GNA, but we don't have the use case to go like salespeople to say, if you're selling more, you get more salespeople, right? It, 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 that's one and one. So for us, you have to be efficient, right? You have to put people in the right place, right? And it gets back to my whole philosophy around scorekeeping to valued advisor. If you're a scorekeeper inside of an organization, you're not even in these conversations, right? It's the CEO or three or five people making these decisions because they just want you to give them the numbers. So to me, that pressure, that capacity, that that need for collaboration, that need for cascading information, you have to have technology. You have to make that investment into it. And I think across the board, not just accounting and finance, but all parts of the organization are starting to realize we need to uh, increase our tech investment. We need to make sure that we have the capabilities to support our employees. We need to make sure our accounting finance FP&A group has the tools and technology that they need to cascade this information. We need to make sure our sales organization can do DocuSign. I can't, Rowan, this blew my mind, right? I was talking with a, customer, a client that I was working with and do some consulting with, and they were like, we, we need to switch to DocuSign because we were so used to, like, looking at contracts and redlining everything. I'm like, what? Like, you, and mind you, I won't, I won't uh, share the name, but we're talking about a multi-million dollar international organization. I'm like, you're not using DocuSign? Like, what are you talking about? But, like, you see so many use cases like that where people have been forced to now say, we've got to adopt this technology solution. What's out there? What do we need to do? Versus, like, now taking the time, doing the work, planning the work, working the plan to get down to have your tech stack across the business efficient and optimized as much as possible. Yeah, I see, I see the whole uh, back office transformation, uh, you know, really accelerating, right? Uh, we're starting to see it. Here I was on mute. Um, <laughs> just Story being, line of just the being courteous, here, you're on I, mute. courteous as I take some notes here. Um, the, the whole back office transformation is accelerating. I think, you know, the last five to 10, well, probably uh, 10 to 15 years, the front office transformation has been huge, right? The sales tech, the, the MarTech, uh, you know, CRM systems, customer data platforms, just all of that has just exploded. Um, right. But right now, not only is the CFO king, but back office transformation is king. Organizations ha have really realized that you can't scale on, on unstable foundations. One of the things you talked about was the different types of technology, even things like automated accounts receivables technology, like, you know, those sort of things, they just accelerate everything that they do and, and they allow, um, you know, that, that growth, that, that space within the finance organization to actually do what they do best. And, and you're getting out of, you know, this low value, low cognition work um, that should be automated and allow Correct. you to shift into that high value, high cognition work so that we, we actually have these, you know, super smart people, right? Like every finance I, person I talk to, you know, they've done their CPA, they've done an MBA, they're like super smart. And we've got them doing like these mundane activities. Yes. <laughs> so we've got to, we've got to that give hit me them. in the fields. That, yeah. hit, that hit me in the fields, man. That hit, that, that hit me. That hit me. That was, Rowan, I don't mean to cut you off, but that was strong. Like I, when you said that, I felt that tone, bro. 
we, we've got to we've got to give them this this space to do all that high value work, right? You, you didn't go and get an MBA to be stuck in spreadsheets, um, and and you know, like spreadsheets are awesome. I love my spreadsheets. I use them all the time, but they're not good for all the kind of complex work that we really need to do. That high cognition, high value work that we need to share across an organization, and we need to make really high value decisions off the back of. And, and the the other aspect that I was thinking of is just as we think about the whole back office transformation, it's about how we pair it with the historical front office transformation, right? Like how can we leverage the insights that are coming from these amazing tools that marketing and sales organizations have had for, for, you know, long periods of time, you know, I'm talking about, you know, predictive uh, sales forecasting technology, uh, customer data platforms that tell us how engaged customers are in product applications that tell us how much usership that we may have. All of these things can really inform the analysis that an FP&A uh, leader can do and, and should do to inform the future strategy of, of the company but also leverage that insight to how can we uh, grow more efficiently? How can we become more efficient? And, and, and that really requires um, the, the thought leaders inside of finance to be technology and transformational savvy. And I, and I think that's one thing that I've seen, you know, over the last, you know, two to three years is really just that, that growth of, technology forward transformational thinkers into into finance and really putting their hand up and being heard and and that's really exciting for the future of 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 finance teams but you know for me as, as someone that leads a lot of teams it's exciting for the future of businesses because now those those partners and those advisors they come with they come with a whole heap of skills that I'm like, oh, you're not just not my finance guy. You're not just like the the scorekeeper. You're actually really right. here to help me. And and I'm really excited about learning from you, but also growing with you and growing the business together. Definitely, definitely. And I think you you hit the nail right on the head, right? And what how's that shift happen, right? Front office was so important because revenue growth was was king, right? Revenue growth was the king KPI across the board. So now that cash is king, of course, it's going to make sense that the back office is like, hey, guys, knock on the door. They went they went back to the accounting finance cave and like knocked on. It was like, hey, uh, we need you guys at the front desk now. Like we need you. So everybody sees you in the business like we need accounting finance at the front. And they went up. They went on the intercom and was like, FPNA uh, on line one, please come to the front. <laughs> you got the entire world. You got the entire world meeting you right now. And we watched it up there. We, we came up and we were like, finally, it's our time. We got our call up. We got the call up, right? But yeah, like you said, RPA and uh, AI machine learning, It's we got an industry poised for it, right? Think about why I say is our, why do I say our functional responsibilities and tactics that we do from an accounting finance opinion perspective are poised for AI machine learning? Manual processes, right, that we do. Collections, for instance, right? That is a very one, two, three, four, five, six step process, right? AP is another one, right? Mm-hmm. You get the bill, you code the bill. It's the same rent bill that you have code for the last 12 years that goes to account number 64088, <laughs> you know, whatever that account string is, right? So we've got a lot of these manual routine processes that you've got high potential, high performance doing. Stop it, leaders. Everybody listening on this call, if there's one takeaway you take away from Chris Ortega and FPNA Fridays, get your people out of the most inefficient, low value skill sets. Get them out of it. Get them out. Get them out of it right now. Because if you don't get them out of it, they're going to leave you in like six months. They're going to be gone, right? Because they, they want they want that ability to be guiding the strategic aspects. And you may look at me and say, Chris, what are the strategic things we want them to do? The number one thing is obviously the things we talked about, collaboration, communication, partnership, and advising. But the most undervalued skill set from a gr- from a good FPNA person to a great FPNA person or leader is the art of storytelling. We tell stories inside the business all the time. And I'm not saying stories as in lies, right? I'm saying stories as we connect the dots, right? We make accounting finance like a movie 
right? When's the last movie you watched where it was like that cliffhanger and you're like, oh my God, is, is the person going to get out the car? Are they going to do that? We need to be doing that inside the organization. We need to have cliffhanging excitement building moments that we create stories and narratives in all aspects of the business. That's where we win, right? Because now people, you know, they're like, we're going to tune into the next episode. The next episode is, is Q2, right? We're coming up outside of Q1, right? People are like, I want to tune in to the next episode of, you know, what that's going to be. And that that's where, that's the success about it, right? And to me, that's where you, in order to get to that kind of value prop, that value that we bring to organization, we have to get out of those low value activities. The Excel, the data mining, the data aggregation, the updating Excel models, the, you know, the silos of data sitting out there, the, the, the manual, you know, Excel workbook that has 32 pages that takes you two days to refresh, right? Uh, the, the dispersed system that you have. Marketing has HubSpot or Marketo. Sales has Salesforce or something else. And you got all these systems that don't even communicate to get to one version of the truth. We got to get outside of that so we can really get to that 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 ability to be producers of, of, our, of our own stories and help advocate the business. Right. That's another point that I really, really like hold strong and dear is I advocate for the business. I'm not the number police inside the organization. Right. I'm not the one slapping people across the head because you went over budget. I'm advocating. I want to be your advocate. Right. But you have to come with a compelling story. You have to win me over. You have to you have to make me feel something about it, right? So I think that's that's so important for us to take away as 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 FPNA leaders start thinking about that. Yeah, I think you know uh, the, the the big challenge for people as they think about storytelling is is context. Uh, you know, we we've talked about cash is king in in finance. I would say in collaboration, context is king, and uh, and a lot of people really struggle with. Um, contextualizing the story or the narrative that they're trying to build, whether that be a, a business case or that be a, a change in something, um, you know, and, and you said it before uh, when you were talking about, you know, these directive leaders and, and they weren't empowering. The, the, the other thing that they don't do, right, like firstly, a lot of those directive leaders struggle to set, um, you know, targets that, that people can achieve but they also forget to set the context as behind why the target has changed. Why are we moving the, you know, changing the course of the ship from one direction to another? Why are we going through these rough seas right now? And, and how are we going to get there, right? Like that, that optimism, that confidence of saying, look, I know this is really difficult. I know we are, we are going to struggle for the next little while, but these are the new targets. These are why the new targets exist. And this is, this is why I believe we can get there, right? Any leader that can do that is going to fill their team with this kind of just this new level of enthusiasm. And no matter what the time implications or what the challenge is in front, people are going to follow that leader. And I think, you know, as you talked about storytelling for finance, it's, it's not the nature of finance to be amazing storytellers, right? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so what, what practical advice do you have for, for listeners to, to actually get better at doing that? My, my advice would be really spend, spend that extra minute up front giving the context and then you can tell the story, hey, we have noticed X, this has an impact, you know, because of this. And so now we are going to try and implement this process to achieve X. And, and that's such a simple change for someone. But what other advice would you have um, to, to help folks just become better storytellers? Because it's, it's certainly not the, the case where uh, finance people doing their CPA actually did a storytelling <laughs> class uh, like yeah. many of the uh, the folks that did, you know, uh, social studies. Yeah, that's not a part of the CPA, man, <laughs> but I think it should be, right? Like, it, uh, tell us a story. But, you know, I, I think you brought up a great point, right? And here, here, here's my thoughts on it, to how to get down the road and, and best steps and practices, right? First off, a directive, per, a directive leader, they tell you, here's the what behind everything, right? An empowered 
forward-looking leader is they'll tell you the why behind everything, right? And that and that's a challenge I faced so many different times, right? And I face it with leaders all the time because, you know, I'm like, I'm the kind of person to say, okay, I understand what you want me to do, but what are the business reasons why, right? Because I need to go to my team and tell them, this is why I have you working on Saturday. This is why I have you working harder. This is why I need this by this date. This is why I need this extra commitment. This is why I need you and my and our entire team to take it up a level, right? Because that gives that baseline, right? So prime example number one, don't be the what person. Here's what we need to do to get this done. Don't be that. Say, this is why we need to do this to get this done. It's, it, it, may, it may seem like a small change, but that little small change in terms of context and empowerment and encouraging people to challenge themselves. And listen, your people are going through a lot of different things right now, right? They don't, they don't need to be told another time of what to do, right? They got kids they're taking care of. They got parents that may be sick. They got loved ones that, you know, are, are affected by COVID. People are wearing a lot of different hats, right? They don't need another directive to tell them what to do. They need to understand context because they're trying to figure out context on a human level, right? On just on a baseline human level, right? Everybody's trying to figure that out, right? Hundred percent. And what I would say to those people that uh, are on the receiving end of the, you need to do X, right? Uh, with without any Y, without any context, is to just. Uh, is to do something to the to the what person, the person giving you the what you need to do, is to just simply say, can you help me understand why we need to do this? Yep. Because by saying, can you help me? Everyone in life wants to help. So that simple question of just diffusing the situation and saying, can you help me understand? You're, you're immediately not just challenging someone when you say, why are we doing this? That's a challenge. Right. That, that's right. a challenge back to the leader. And, 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 and most people are afraid to say something like that. Why are we doing this? Um, but if you say, can you help me understand why we are doing this? Immediately, you've diffused the whole situation. You're, you're saying to someone, I, I need help. I need context. I, I need you to, to clarify this. And, and you're going to get more information. You're going to get um, more context from, from that leader. And, and that's going to make you a better leader in turn, a better partner, a better advisor, a better boss, if you've got to communicate down the chain to, to really be able to give that context. And so, you know, that so, sort of skill is, is just huge in this environment right now, because as you said, Chris, you know, you don't know what's happening behind the, the other side of this Zoom screen, for example. Like I could be running a little video loop back here and no one would know that my kids are running around behind me. Thankfully, they're not. Um, but, um, you know, th that stuff happens all the time and, and it's okay. It's, it's really okay. But we need to be able to, you know, you said it earlier, be empathetic, be empowering. And if we can do that, then it's going to make the, that challenge, that course correction, that directive leadership, which, you know, is okay. Directive leadership is fine. If, of course. You, if you're doing it with empathy, if you're doing it with, uh, with, with the right tone and, and the right understanding from the team. Definitely. Yeah, and I think the second point about uh, uh, the art of storytelling and how to give people practical ways to do that, right? Think about this, for instance, all the listeners, right? When you go about building a relationship, there's two, there's two, two core competencies to any relationship you build, right? Uh, work, uh, spouse, you name the relationship. Trust and competency, right? Those are the two factors in building any relationship. Which area do you think accounting and finance FPNA go to first? We go to the competency side. We go to the numbers, the US gap, the CPA, all this stuff. We go to the competency side, right? To our business leaders, to people in sales and marketing, if you go tell them this is how we do the accounting entry for ASC 606 uh, sales commissions, for expenses and this is the bottom line impact they're going to have they're going to be like get out of my office like i don't want to talk to you right but if you go to any business partner and build the trust for example when i started at amarsis uh almost five years ago feels like 10 years ago based on how we grow and how fast we're going right 
I spent the entire first month. I didn't look at the GL. I didn't look at budgets. Hell, I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't even log into the financial system yet to our GL and stuff like that. I spent an entire month sitting down with every single leader, manager, and people. I was a therapist for a month, Rowan, and I got some weird conversations. People <laughs> got so people got so comfortable with me after a month. I'm like, look, uh. I don't know why your kid's acting bad in school, but I can't help with that. But if we want to talk about how we could uh, shorten our uh, or, or how we can increase our NPS scores on uh, our onboarding, so uh, uh, post uh, onboarding, like I can help you with that, but I can't help you with your kids. But my point is focus on the trust, right? A quick you can do schedule meetings, not every week, right? Get a 30-minute standing meeting with that sales, marketing, client success, VP, and listen to them and say, hey, I want to get 30 minutes. I just want to understand the state of business and how you see it. I want to see the challenges you think you have, the opportunities, the risks, uh, the, the things that are keeping you up at night, and I just want to listen, and I want to see if I can help support that. That's a quick way, a quick win that you can get to building trust. The second thing is you got to get in the trenches with people like you got to go through some battles. Right. There are so many business leaders that they they know even in personal matters. They're like, Chris, I worked with you in uh, this job at this tech company. I still get people reaching out to me. It's like, Chris, I remember working with you back at uh, company A and I know you're a solid finance person and I need some advice on this. Right. You got to build those trench level experiences. You got to get you got to get your hands dirty. You got to get in it. You got to get in the trenches, in the mix, in the mud, in the dirt with them because that builds equity, right? That builds to say, man, we've been through some we've been through some battles. There are countless leaders and people that I know at any moment I can call on them because of the trenches and battles we went through, right? Or they come back to me and say, "Chris, I'm going through a similar battle. I was facing this. I know this is what we did. What's some advice you can give me?" That builds that trust, that builds that equity, right? Because at that at, at some moment, that competency piece is going to come in. But if you built all this trust, if you built all this equity, if you are looked at as not the number police, but this is Chris that's advising me, that's advocating for me, when you come with the competency side, it, it's less of a sting. It's more of a like, oh, man, I get it. Like, oh, yeah, this is the reason why that's this way. And, okay, this is why I need to direct my team. It, it completely diffuses that and now you're continuing to make these investments right and to get to my point earlier you're making these investments in different areas of the business hr sales marketing right you're building fpna is building a locus of influence it's so important that we have inside the organization right we've got people thinking uh, modeling making decisions based on a framework that we are the experts at like we are making organizations FPNA enabled. That's huge, man. That's game changing, right? I, I love it. And you're on mute. Yeah, I know. I love it. I was just going to say, you know, if you want to get in the trenches really fast and you're in FPNA, uh, go and work with salespeople on their quota plans, number one. And, uh, <laughs> and number two, go have a discussion with marketing about attribution. Um, those two things are the, the, the sore spots of those two organizations. And, uh, and that's a quick way to find out where that partnership lies because you, you're going to have a lot of fun, but more importantly, you're going to really start to understand the business at that point, right? Uh, in those two, like in the, you know, in sales, in marketing, if you're talking to a sales rep about their quota plan and how you built it, you're going to find out a lot. If you go and talk to a marketer about their attribution models, you're going to find out a lot of information about their strategy, about how they're performing against that strategy. So, um, you know, people might be sitting there, oh, that's great, Chris. How do I get in the trenches? There's two quick ways to get in the trenches. <laughs> For sure. And and those trenches you get into, like you said, FENA needs to move out of just understanding the numbers. And we need to understand the business. And understanding the business, the most forefront of understanding a business, you got to understand the people. Like, I mean, to me, it's, it has always been like a, 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 a I don't, and I, I'm not trying to oversimplify it or undervalue it, but to me, it is like I learned as soon as I got out of public accounting, Rowan, I realized like, okay, for me to know the business, I got to know the people behind the business because they're the ones advocating the business. 
And that's not just the internal people, right? That's the external. That's the clients and customers, right? And some listeners and people may look at this and be like, Chris, not everybody has the same extroversion and energy as you. Right. And they don't, uh, they don't have the same, you know, how many Chris, people how have you your fighting? energy, Chris. I know that much, man. Yeah. It's like, Chris, you're a, you're a sales guy. And I, I can't tell you how many times people have looked at me and says, Chris, you're just a salesperson in the finance job. And I'm, I, I wear that with a badge of honor. I am, I am a salesperson. I'm, I'm selling FPNA inside the organization and outside the organization, like all the time. Right. But you don't have to have that kind of, you know, extreme, like you said, it's simple use cases, right? It's finding a way for you to connect to people. But sitting back, looking at your Excel spreadsheets, going through your GL models and, and doing all that, no, nah, that's not going to get there. People don't want to sit there and, and dive through Excel models, right? Like you don't want to get a salesperson to sit and just like, hey, I want to show you how I can do these most updated formulas. Nobody wants to do that. But you have to be an advocate of that, right? And to me, that is a whole nother side of accounting finance FPNA that is not taught in school. Everything that I'm learning right now, Rowan, I didn't learn in school. I wasn't taught business partnership one on one. I wasn't taught. I wasn't taught uh, dealing with conflict with leaders. I wasn't taught in college uh, managing up, down, sideways, and all across the board. Right? I had to learn this through failure. And I'll tell everybody, I have failed. I have failed more times than I've won. And the reason why I wear that with a badge of honor because I seek failure. I seek the opportunity to fail because there's only two options. I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn. So I want to have as many failures as possible. That means I'm learning tremendously. So a lot of that is mindset change, right? And it's, it starts with the individual. It has to start with the listeners, has to start with the individual leaders. Um, you know, I get challenged a lot for a lot of the, the people that look at me and they're like 40, 50 years in their careers and, you know, they look at me and like, Chris, you're talking a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And I'm like, all right, well, okay, let's make a bet, bro. Let's see, let's see, let's see who's right or wrong in the next three or five years, right? But you got to take that leap. You got to take that risk. Uh, and you got to want to challenge yourself, man. To me, like that's in anything that, that that's a recipe of success. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, we're coming to the top of the hour here, Chris, I think next Friday we should really deep, deep dive into this, right? Deep dive into uh, failures, how you learn from failures. And, and then the other part I, I really think that's important is this whole storytelling concept, right? I think it's really important that um, FP&A leaders can help define narratives in an organization, help still that tell that story and help create the context. And, and then, um, you know, like doing that through failure where you can actually tell the story of the failure and help educate the rest of the team about why something failed, whether that was a, an investment thesis or a strategic thesis where the model didn't prove out right. Uh, what did you learn from that? You know, what was the missing inputs that we, we missed? And, and, and I think that's the, that's the big, um, you know, one of the big things that we can do to help aspiring FP&A leaders right now is help learn from our failures uh, first and foremost and and maybe give them the 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 MBA in uh, in managing up managing down managing sideways dealing with conflict because I certainly didn't learn that either I learned the hard way I learned through failing you know and I think everyone does but you know it's opportunities like this to talk to each other um, and to to share this stuff with listeners that that I think you know, and I hope the audience finds m most valuable. Definitely. I think those are great topics, man. I think, uh, you know, the, the storytelling aspect of it and going through some scenarios of failing to me, like I, I've had advocates the same way, right? I've had people that have shared to me, like that's the whole purpose, right? To me, leadership is about, uh, and I'll conclude with this, how I look at it as leadership. As I continue to elevate, it is my responsibility to cascade all my failures down to people and, and invest into them so they don't have to make the same mistake. You accelerate people, right? If I give you the blueprint of like, hey, you got to look out for these three things because if you don't look out for them, I made this mistake, that already acceler accelerates them to be more efficient, right? And as leaders, as we continue to have that impact and that influence to be able to, let's make people as most efficient and accelerating their learning as growth as possible. So I'm excited about that conversation. I hope uh, the listeners got a lot of value and uh, FPNA Fridays is lit. 
Exactly. And so for those that are probably going to be listening uh, on the recorded podcast, uh, every Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, FBNA Fridays here on Clubhouse. Just uh, search for FBNA Fridays, and uh, Chris and will be Chris and I will be here every week, and and we hope to see and slash hear from you. So so drop in on Clubhouse, and uh, and you'll be listening to this on uh, the Being Planful podcast. Thanks everyone, and and thanks Chris. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Bye.